As we did last week, we have a treat this morning. Michelle Cunningham uh, will be delivering our scripture this morning. Um, Matthew chapter 7, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the final chapter in this uh, first teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, which we are currently moving our way through. So again, as we did last week, just allow these words as she presents them uh, in, in a kind of an updated but a beautiful translation of uh, how they would have heard in their own language in the first century, how people would have heard and how we hear this really profound message from the Lord. So Michelle, thank you. Uh, Don't condemn others, and then God won't condemn you. God will be as hard on you as you are on others. He will treat you exactly as you treat them. Do not... I'm sorry? You can see the speck in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. How can you say, my friend, let me get that speck out of your eye, when you can't see because of the log in your own eye? You're nothing but show-offs. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you can see how to take the speck out of your friend's eye. Don't go give to dogs what belongs to God. They'll only turn and attack you. Don't throw pearls down in front of pigs. They'll trample all over them. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. Anyone who asks receives. Anyone who seeks finds, and the door will be opened for anyone who asks. Well, how many of you... Would any of you give you any of you give your child a, a stone if the child asks for some bread? And would you give your own child a snake if the child asks for some fish? As bad as you are, you know how to give good gifts to your children. But your Father in heaven is even more ready to give good things to people who ask. Treat others as you want them to treat you. This is what the law and the prophets are all about. Go in through the narrow gate. Well, the gate to destruction is wide, and the road that leads there is easy to follow, and a lot of people go through that gate. But the gate to life is so narrow, and the road that leads there is so difficult to f- that only a few people find it. On the day, of j- watch out along the way. Watch out for false prophets. Inside there are wolves dressed up like sheep who have come to attack you. You can know who the false prophets are by what they do. Well, no one picks picks grapes or figs from thorn bushes. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You will any any tree that produces bad fruit will be chopped down and burned. You'll know the false prophets by what they do. Not everyone who calls me Lord will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who obey my Father in heaven will get in. On the day of judgment, many will call me their Lord. They'll say, well, well, we preached in your name, and in your name we, we cast out demons, and we did many miracles. And I will tell them, I don't know you. Depart from my sight, you evil people. But anyone who hears my words and obeys them is like a man who built a house on solid rock. The rain came down, the rivers flooded, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it stayed firm because it was built on the rock. But anyone who hears these words and does not obey them is like a house built on sand. The rains came down, the rivers flooded, the winds blew and beat against that house, and finally it fell with a crash. 
Well, when the people finished hearing Jesus, they were surprised when he spoke with one like authority and not like the teachers of the law of Moses. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Well, as we finish up this first section of teaching this morning, I, uh, I want to just reiterate again that Jesus is trying to have his followers understand what it's like to live in his kingdom. And that's the, this, this whole theme of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and really much of Matthew is what's it like to live in God's kingdom? When I think about this, I go back to, uh, well, I was about 10 years old, 9 years old, something like that. And uh, we we would turn on the TV to one of the three channels that were available back then every Sunday night to uh, to Disney's Wonderful World of Color. This was it. And I knew that Disney's Wonderful World of Color was coming on. We would get, I mean, this was a big event in my house. We didn't watch a lot of TV, but this was a big event. And uh, before that, there was always something that came on that I just love. If, if, if any of you are of a certain age, and I, I understand the show itself is still on, but if you have the picture of here, this was what we kept preceded it. This was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, all right? This passed for entertaining television in the 1960s, and I loved it. I, I couldn't get enough of it. This was Marlon Perkins, and he was the curator of the St. Louis Zoo, and he would bring some animal friend with him each week onto the show. Any of you remember this? Whatever. I just loved this. This was, this was my, like, this is, I, I was in heaven. And you would learn, I would sit there and I'd learn about um, what the, uh, you know, whatever animal kingdom they were looking at, what the rules were, like how it worked, what the ecosystem was, and we were just, you know, like, oh, this was great, and uh, they would get out there, he and his, you know, companion would go out and sort of wrestle alligators or do whatever they were, you know, going to do for that week, and uh, and they sort of, that, that kingdom, right, you would sort of learn all about the rules of that animal kingdom, whatever they were doing uh, for that week, so hold on to that for a minute, that picture, because um, we'll, we'll pick, go back to Marlin in a little bit. Jesus is trying to teach us and show us about how to live in a kingdom that's not natural for us. It's an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom where people that don't push themselves, but who are meek and humble end up being exalted. When you read some of the things in this uh, Sermon on the Mount, it just seems like, wow, you know, it doesn't, it's not natural. It's not what happens in our world typically. And so I want to just pick up and make a couple of comments on, on a few of the, the themes. It's uh, he, he talks about so many things, and I could slow down and spend many weeks in each chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, but I just want to pick up a couple of things. I, uh, I've thought a lot about, I'm kind of an expert in the first five chapters of Matthew chapter 7, because... Um, it is, this is one of my, I'll just confess, one of my besetting sins, right? I, I should have been a judge. Um, my dad was a lawyer. I should have been a judge because I, I, I am, my natural proclivity is a, a, a judge. And um, so I always read these words. It's always hard for me to read, judge not that you be not judged. Now, even people who don't know the Bible and our culture, that verse they end up knowing, right? That verse is out there. And 
typically what I feel like that verse means when people who aren't walking with the Lord is don't tell me what's right and wrong. Make no moral judgment on anything I do or say. And, you know, you know, because judge not, right? Well, we have verses, 15 verses later, he says, a tree is known by its fruit. If you want to know a false prophet, you better judge their actions, right? A tree is known by its fruit. How are you going to do that unless you are looking at that? So somehow it can't mean we can make no moral distinctions or judgments. I'll tell you why I think, for me, judge, judging is a besetting sin, because I quickly, and I don't know if any of y'all have this proclivity or not, but I quickly will make a determination based on an action without the full facts, without looking at my own heart. I am quite quick to pronounce ultimate judgment where God didn't give me the wisdom and liberty to do so. And I, you know, it's, it's the typical of when I'm, I'm pretty easy on my own sins, frankly. Now, some of you guys are very hard on yourselves, and you're, you just beat yourself up over your sins. I tend to err on the other side. I'm, I'm pretty understanding of my own weaknesses. I, I just am. I don't even mean that to be funny, but are you? I mean, uh, so what happens? Are, what happens is when I'm like at a traffic light, and the light turns green, and I'm looking at an unnamed device in my pocket, and I'm not paying attention, and somebody behind me honks, my first response is, what's your hurry, man? Like, what? <laughs> What, three seconds is going to make a huge difference? And you know, I get, oh, somebody's honking at me. But, of course, if I'm in a hurry and I'm behind somebody and the light turns green, it turns green, and three or four seconds goes by, and I'm bump, 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 I'm like, come on, man, what is wrong with you, you know? Like, you're sitting here texting or driving, you know? It's not, but, of course, I'm easy on myself because, of course, it was a really important text when it was me, right? But when it's them, they're just jerks, Right? This, this is judging. This is, you know, again, we are quick. We're sometimes very, you know, understanding of ourselves, but others. And he says, look, you, you need to understand something about the way we treat others in the kingdom. Because what we've moved from is in chapter six, we've moved from this interior life of the believer. And we've moved from lusting in our heart and thinking about our own to how we treat others. Because here's this first takeaway. If if your Christianity does not affect your relationships, and I mean every relationship you have, at home, at work, whatever, if it doesn't impact the way you treat people, you have missed the gospel. Because the gospel isn't about just you and Jesus, and then you can treat other people like whatever you did before you were a believer— If it doesn't flow out and change the way you treat those people you live with, as annoying as I know they can be, because the point is, you are just as annoying. You just don't realize it because you live with yourself and you don't annoy yourself. It's true. But you don't see that. I don't see that. Because I understand why I leave my towel on the floor or whatever I do. I understand the reasoning behind, and I have good reasons for all the annoying things I do, and so do you. It is, it is true. And he says, look, judge not that you be not judged. This does not mean that we make no moral distinction. What we want to do is bring people to truth because there is truth. This doesn't mean there is no objective truth. Jesus said, I am truth. The word of God stands forever as truth. But here's the deal. There is only one wise judge. Wise enough to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Because judgment doesn't 
uh, doesn't discern those intentions. Believe me, I want to be judged when I'm bringing a case before a court and I want a fair and impartial and right. I want a judge that knows the law, knows the intention, and so do you. You want to be judged rightly by someone who understands real truth. But Jesus saying there's really only one person to do that, and guess what? It isn't you. But our job, I think, is to point people to the one true judge and to his word, which is truth, which will help us to divine real truth. Look again what it says here. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Does it mean I let people off the hook? Guys, I hope you don't want to be let off the hook if you're committing gross sin because it will lead to death. And you err if you think, well, I don't want anyone to tell me I'm wrong. I mean, okay, so I'm embezzling, you know, so I'm having an affair, so I'm watching all that porn. I mean, I know it's bad for me, but, you know, don't tell me what to do. Lord, we ought to want people to tell us. This is truth. This is life. But I don't want someone to condemn me. I want someone to come alongside me and lead me to truth. And to point me and say, there is a way that leads to life. That's judgment I want. And and Jesus uses carpenter language. Jesus as a carpenter says, look, you get a, a speck in your own eye. I mean, you see a speck in your brother's eye, but you can't even see clearly because of this log that's in your own eye. So the second part of this is not only do we want to point to a wise judge, but we need to be ruthlessly self-examining. When we come to making judgments of others before we have spent time examining why do we feel the way we do, we are quick to make snap judgments. We do it on our, ourselves, our family, our leaders, our politics. We just say, oh, they're, they're idiots, right? They're idiots. Well, hold on. Take a ruthless inside look at yourself. He says this, if you, if you can say, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not that we ignore the speck in our brother's eye, but he, he teaches us that people who are humble and discerning have evaluated themselves first. <laughs> So how that looks like for you in your context, that's, you know, but please, as we are looking at each other, again, walking in someone else's shoes without making a quick judgment as to how they're doing, you know, it's, we, we don't want to be the stereotype of, you know, oh, have, you, have you heard about so-and-so? They're such a gossip, right? The irony of that should strike us, right? But we do it. Second thing he teaches us besides how to treat others is he teaches us how God treats us. If you'll look with me, chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. If you spend any time around biblical stuff, Christian stuff, you, you'll hear, and it's rightfully so. They'll say, you know, there's times to just sort of wait on God, be still, and know that he is God. Don't move too fast. Don't get in front of him, all that. 
But there is a proactive side to our faith that cannot be denied. And there's a balance, and we live in the tension of not doing things that are God's job, but not leaving undone the things that he has given us to do. God's not going to repent for you. He's not going to turn to himself through you. You are going to be faced with the truth of the gospel. He's going to open your mind and reveal to you truth. And then you are going to be called upon to respond to that and to say, yes, I, I believe. There's a proactive side, and he says here in this, ask, seek, knock. It's this proactive part. What I want to tell you is, and what I want just to point out to you is, is I believe he's teaching us how God sees us and treats us because, look at what he says, if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened to you. I assume the it is a door of some sort. It will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Jesus goes back and emphasizes that it's God's default posture to want to make himself known to you. Now, is it easy? Sometimes is it the answer you want? No, guarantee you. Sometimes it's hard. If you don't want to know the truth, don't ask a truth teller. Ask someone who will tell you a lie. There are plenty of people in this world who will tell you what you want to hear, right? Seriously, there are. They usually want your money or your vote. And I mean that with, with no irony. It, it is true. We, we, we live in a culture where that's become the default norm. They're trying to sell you something or get you to do something. God doesn't do that. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your vote. He is king. He is God. What he wants is your heart. And he wants you to be a truth responder. To respond to truth. And so ask expectantly. Seek him expectantly. Knock expectantly. But be prepared for truth. And any of us, who've been, if you've been alive more than about 10 minutes, you know that truth is sometimes hard to look at. Because we sometimes paint a picture of ourselves in our lives that we wish were, was the way it was, but it's not. And we fool ourselves. I'm a pro at fooling myself. I have like a PhD in fooling myself. And thinking I'm this or I'm that. But here's what Jesus said. It's the truth that will set you free. And the truth of the matter is, is that you cannot exist in this world and live in this kingdom without him and without his support under you and without his truth and his spirit breathing life into you. And that's the truth. And you're not all that. Neither am I. We are far worse than we think we are. And we're sinners in need of grace. And here's the beauty. The grace is there. And his goodness is there. But you have to be willing to listen to the truth. And this world is not going to tell you the truth. Even those who don't want your money or your vote, they're going to tell you what they think. God's default position towards you is to give you good Finally, third, third thing I want to offer you is this. Jesus closes this whole Sermon on the Mount 
beginning really at about verse 13 with a series of what they call two-way things, either go this way or that way, truth or falsehood. That's a biblical thing that you'll see all the time, the choice of the two ways, obey me and live, disobey me and die. This is all. So you'll see this again and again. He does it enter by the narrow gate, not the wide gate. Um, tree is known by its fruit, healthy tree, unhealthy tree. Um, anyway, so you'll see that over and over again. Um, following Jesus and living in his kingdom, it's the same thing. To, to live in his kingdom is to follow the Lord in relationship with him. That's what living in his kingdom is about. Okay. You can know a lot about it in the same way you can be a marriage expert and be single, right? There are people out there who are marriage experts. They're, they counsel, they whatever. They're, we all laugh a little at that because you don't really know until you get married what marriage is about, right? I mean, not that you can't learn something from someone who isn't married, but it seems a little funny to say marriage experts are single. But look it up and you'll see marriage experts have never been married, right? It's not until you enter in, I feel like, that I began to get a clue as to what this kingdom of marriage was all about. For many years, I, I sat on my couch and I watched old Marlon Perkins take me into the, to the kingdoms, and I just loved watching. And I never once entered into the kingdoms, any of those kingdoms that he did. I loved watching him get in with the alligators. I loved watching him hide behind the woods at the lions. and the I just loved it. I loved it from the safety of my couch. Guys, some of us love the kingdom of God in the same way. We love to watch other people forgive, but we're going to hold on to our grudges. We love to watch other people and condemn them for their prejudices and their bigotry, but we're not going to take a hard look inside at our own prejudices and bigotry. We love to criticize other people in the store for their kids, those out-of-control kids, and then when our kid runs off the rails, we're like, yeah, yeah, well, you don't know what kind of day I've had. And Jesus calls us to walk into the kingdom. And there's only one door, and it's a narrow door. And it's the door of surrendering your life and your heart to Jesus Christ. That's the narrow way. And the world will tell you, as it always has, there's many ways to heaven. And the Bible says that's not true. And we can go two ways on that all we want, and we can philosophically debate that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He says there's only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through me. This kingdom has this one door, and we enter in, and it's not just through intellectual belief. It's not just through, okay, I, I acknowledge that. It's through the door of obedience. And this is why Jesus ends this as he talks about this kingdom. He ends this with these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That should grab our attention. I've said, Lord, Lord, many times. Not everyone, and I'll paraphrase here, but not everyone who preaches great sermons, even orthodox sermons, will end up in the kingdom of heaven. Really? Believe me, it's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot easier to preach a sermon in some ways than to have miracles and cast out demons and, you know. So this is not about stuff. It's not about religiosity. 
This is about walking in relationship with Jesus. And that's obedience to him. And that's a love relationship with him. And it's so easy and so hard. (laughs) It's this surrender to say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the risen God. And I'll do it your way. Even if I fall a million times and even if I struggle in a million ways, I'll do it your way. I'll keep going. And his arms are open wide. And he will treat you with the grace and the acceptance that you want to be treated with. He demonstrates the kingdom over and over again in the gospel. We're going to see him look at a woman who's caught in adultery, and he's going to say, you know what? These Pharisees are right by the law. You should be condemned. What does he say? Look around. Does anybody condemn you? Neither do I. Did Jesus have the right to condemn her? Absolutely. Did he say, no problem, live any way you want? He said, no, go and sin no more. He was the perfect balance of grace and truth, and he calls us to be the same. And this is living in his kingdom. The only difference between somebody who builds his house on a rock and someone who builds his house on the sand, according to the end of Matthew 7, is only one difference in those two narratives. One did what the Lord asked and one did not. Every other word in those things is the same. When the floods came, the floods are coming for all of us. The winds are going to blow for all of us. And the one whose house will stand, not on this life, not on this earth. Your house may blow away in this life. I don't know what's coming. Your finances, your health. I make no promises. The Lord makes no promises as to the perfection of that. But he says, your spirit, it is well with my soul. Because he's never leaving you. He's never forsaking you. You will have the God of the universe with you. And you'll enter into the kingdom and you'll live in the kingdom and you'll actually see the kingdom. And when, when we fight the battles against the demonic and when we see the miracles of the Lord, we don't have to say, well, I didn't know God. We do it in the power and the presence of God, not holding him at arm's length, but walking with him. This is our call. And we live in a world that's waiting, I think, and would love something real. They're sick of talk. They're sick of talk. Truth telling with truth living wins the day and wins people's hearts. Let's live the truth as we speak the truth. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for this introduction, this this teaching that you've given us and the words that you speak to us to live in your kingdom, the call to enter the narrow way, to live differently, both interior, relationally, and in our attitude toward you, to see, to see that your default posture toward us is to want to be known. That if we ask, we do receive. That if we seek, we find. That if we'll knock on your door, you will open and reveal yourself to us. Lord, for those of us who haven't taken that step, who still were fighting the intellectual battles, which we we need to address, Lord, but but Lord, let let us not be held back from entering in because we're always 
on the couch watching the kingdom from afar. I'll just invite if if there's anyone who feels like, yeah, you know, I, I know I need to. I know I need to step into that kingdom. I know I'm an observer and a watcher, but I'm ready. The door to the kingdom is simply saying in your heart, yes, Lord, I believe. I commit to you. I, I know I've sinned. I know I need you. I, I want that. Do that and tell someone else and you will begin the journey into exploring and living in another realm and kingdom that will change your life. Lord, I, I ask that your Holy Spirit would work here. I pray that those who know they need this salvation of God would step into it. For those of us who have done that, but Father, we, we've... We've not taken seriously walking in the words. Help us to be sobered by the fact that it's not just the, oh, we, we have the right verbiage. Oh, we know how to say Lord, Lord, and we know how to do religious things. Help us to be struck by the fact that it's daily obedience to you. It's, it's repentance. It's grace. It's, it's learning to walk with you every day in which we live in this kingdom. We experience your grace. Lord, we're completely at your at your disposal lord we want to be filled with your holy spirit we want to know you completely and utterly so we turn to you we thank you for the way you've come to this earth revealed yourself to us lord we know that one day you'll come again and set right all that's wrong and boy there's a lot wrong but so much good lord you've done and are doing So we turn ourselves to you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the musicians come up and we'll close in a worship song, let me just invite you, um, if, if, if you know this is something you need in your life and heart, please come talk to me or, or any of the leaders of the church, and let's, let's get you walking in the kingdom. It makes all the difference. Would you stand with me, please, as we close?